Repost. Justicon explains the global predators with an X-rated tale of psychopaths, pedophiles, and prison life. If you think this might be too much for you, it is. Feel free to delete it now. Justicon is just a con, get it? Says he has lived, quote, from homeless kid to criminal to convict to citizen. Grateful for the road I've taken. He writes intelligently and imaginatively. I slightly abridge this for readability, so you may like the originals better. The sources for the following essays are linked to their titles. I also cut out Justicon's disclaimer that his writing might be fiction. Consider the point made. The first one is understanding evil. I couldn't see the flash of his Cincinnati gold teeth anymore. His nervous smile had faded along with his self-deprecating jokes. He glanced around at the convicts surrounding him. From my spot in the stairwell, aware of everything while, quote, seeing nothing, I watched as the gravity of his situation set in. There were no cameras or guards here, just him and prison consequences. Before he could act, they grabbed his arms. Immediately, one man broke his finger, causing him to cry out in pain. He should have held it in. The moment his mouth opened, a third man grabbed his head as a fourth poured boiling baby oil down his throat. I don't know if he died, I just know he never came back from the infirmary. All because he was late repaying three boxes of Little Debbie snack cakes he owed. You don't understand evil. It's not hyperbole when I state that you do not know what evil is. Even those of you who have survived, endured, and fought it cannot grasp what was in front of you. Like the Native Americans who saw the clouds instead of the Santa Maria's sails, your brain couldn't comprehend what it was seeing. So it shows something you could understand. That's why when you discuss and even seek to destroy evil, you cram it into a framework you can wrap your head around. You can't place yourself in an evil human being's shoes. You can't see it from his point of view. If you could, you'd be one of us. Yes, I lumped myself in with this group. Incredibly bizarre circumstances have led me to live as a, quote, good man, but that does not make me one. I have logical reasons to live as a citizen now, yet I still lack the moral compass that guides the vast majority of society. I mimic your behavior and follow the handy rules and laws society has put into place. However, should the need arise, I can still commit terrible acts and sleep soundly afterward. This conflux in my being is what allows me to give you a glimpse into this topic. Your first mistake is believing an evil person is like you under different circumstances. The cliche, quote, anyone can be a killer, is a shallow viewpoint. Yes, you could be provoked to take somebody's life, but you would have to be pushed and pressured to a breaking point before that choice would be made. Evil men do it just because it makes sense to us at the time. You could be forced to take a life to save your own. We can do it simply to avoid what may be a potential problem in the future. They are not the same, and it's dangerous to consider them morally equivalent. 
In that vein, another misconception is that evil is nothing more than an inversion of what you know. What makes a man evil is not as superficial as him being the opposite of good. Evil men do not casually base their decisions on, quote, I love being evil, wahahaha. The truth is that they are indifferent and their actions are so matter-of-fact that they seem obvious. An evil man sees you as having a similar value as he'd attribute to a chair or a refrigerator. I've been shocked by people reacting with a normal moral compass towards me. Times where it never occurred to me that someone would react so negatively to seeing something like me stabbing another man in a fight. With blood on me, a knife in my hands, and a surprised look on my face. What? Did he get me? As I checked myself for wounds. Evil men do not begin with your moral standing position. They simply abandon it. It never existed for them in the first place. You could have frightened me as a child, but you could not have horrified me. That brings me to wiring and experience, nature versus nurture. I understand why you want to make this binary, and I understand why you want the answer to be simple. Yet it's not. It takes both. Neither nature nor nurture can alone make a man evil. I don't care about statistics. I've watched their lives and genetics cook people my entire life. Nature. First, we're born wrong. Don't start defending babies. It is what it is. While I can't feel as you feel, I can observe behavior, and that shows me what is normal. You display your feelings. We do not experience emotions in the same fashion as you do. It's not that we lack feelings, such as with psychopaths. We simply can't make an emotional, moral connection. We lack the basic communal instincts other people possess. We don't need you to like us because of some lizard part of our primordial brain links it to safety and survival. Yet we do mirror behavior just like anyone else. That's why we can see you while you can rarely, if ever, see us. That brings us to nurture. Those mentioned above are born into all walks of life, but the vast majority are never introduced to culturally accepted evil behavior. Therefore, they leave average lives. You see them every day. When these people are introduced and brought up in a world of criminal behavior, since they have no emotionally based moral roadblocks, it all feels natural and even good. A normal human being, even in that culture, would never find themselves in the life I lived. I know because the ghetto is as full of good people as anywhere in society. I saw them every day growing up. The difference is that those who are wired wrong blend in when they are inside your world, but they stand out in ours. That's why you're afraid to go there. So what do we do? Unfortunately, nothing. You can't fix it. Even now I look at the things I do and they quote, just make sense given my situation. However, I also recognize that if things were ever stripped from me, I'd never, I'd no longer have the same motivation or make the same decisions. I have no desire to live as I once did, but I'd be completely comfortable doing so should I be placed there once more. Indifference, remember? There is no cure. Rehabilitation only applies to good people who did evil things circumstantially. 
no matter your resolve, how much psychology you apply, or how genuine your motivations are, toast can never be turned back into bread. That's why you must fight evil. That's why you must set aside your misgivings and focus entirely on its destruction wherever you encounter it. It's a zero-sum game. The sympathy you feel is not shared by your enemy. Any, quote, evil acts you may employ against evil men do not make you evil. The fortitude to do what must be done will spare others, but you'll suffer because you're good. Because you use the law, it being your means of justice, make certain those laws are the kind that settle the problem. Quit preventing the consequences of our actions from fitting our actions. You're not saving our souls. You're likely only allowing the creation of future victims. You do not understand evil, and that should scare you. Then I have a passage from my book, Cassandra's Memo, which describes these prisoners' cousins, the global psychopaths. This is from the preface. Cassandra was a legendary Trojan princess who could tell the future but was fated to never be believed. Our hope is that Cassandra's curse will fail if enough of us exit the matrix and stop consuming mainstream media. Many understand that we live through a Greek tragedy, but few realize that each calamity is planned for a purpose. Today's theft, lies, and the explosion of immoral and illegal activity are neither random nor spontaneous. A few thousand psychopaths working in a loose alliance are driving it all. Psychiatry neutered this name to sociopaths, but the original is a better fit. Learning about these deviants is a black pill, an icy reality. They stalk among us, nearly invisible, behind a wall of propaganda and censorship, but their actions reveal them. They are trying to destroy our knowledge, peace of mind, and ability to speak freely so they can take over. Shedding illusions is life's most painful, challenging, and imperative work. I know. I understood less than half of the contents of this book two years ago. Since then, I've been setting fire to my preconceptions and burning them to the ground. It has been agonizing. Getting others to see through the deceptions is far more difficult. Emerson wrote, A man is what he thinks about all day long. We are inside the most pervasive and effective propaganda campaign in history, and there is a lot of denial, even as the world crumbles into totalitarianism. Those who have spent years feeding their brains with mainstream media now want to put their thumbs in their ears. Despite all this, many people know what is happening and more are learning. After someone awakens, they cannot go back to sleep. This book is your chance to catch up and join us. When more understand the truth, we may have a chance to crush the conspirators. And this is from Cassandra's memo, Bankster's Chapter. A collaborator told me once, If you have not thrown up your breakfast by 11 a.m. on any given day, you are not paying attention. And this article is by Christian Elliott, and I have linked the source. It was originally published in December 29, 2021, and I abridged it.
The international bankers are caricatures of evil. Listen for a minute to the morbidly obese animal below describing their plans for us. They want to get rid of cash and lose con- use controlled cryptocurrency to monitor everyone everywhere. This is Augustin Karstens, the head of the Bank for International Settlements, and I've left the link. The Federal Reserve Bank and the Bank for International Settlements are the planet's moneylenders. They operate in secret and are only accountable to their private shareholders. The International Monetary Fund wields vast powers as well. A few thousand people manage and control these groups. They openly document their plans on websites, at conferences, and even through patent filings. They maintain control by compromising and blackmailing their subordinates and others. The global psychopaths are not shy about revealing their plans, and COVID is just the start. Central banks have worldwide overwhelming economic power. Their leaders are inflating and collapsing our currency to tighten their noose on us. They call this, quote, the Great Reset. Titanic companies and immensely wealthy individuals have purchased the media. Money has been aggravated aggregated into monstrous institutions such as BlackRock. They advocate totalitarianism and they are openly discussing the use of central bank digital currencies, CBDCs, to control both individual and world finances. So I'm back to Justicon again, and this is entitled Pedos in Prison. There's no greater evil than the kind that targets children. I've been seeing a lot recently about lenient laws for pedophiles and child abusers. Apparently, there are places where the consequences they face are minor because their state hands down light sentences and follows up by protecting them after they are in prison. This is strange to me. I'm afraid I cannot express it here because it's not what I know. I do not know these places and I won't speak for them. However, I do know mine. In my house, these monsters were eaten by bigger ones. Unlike out here, there was no debate, no conflict of consciousness. We had a consensus that the sentence the state gave them was the least of their concerns. The law wasn't the consequences of their actions we were. In my prison, your crime placed you somewhere along the food chain from day one. For most, you moved up or down from the from there based on how you did your time. The only exception to this were child abusers. They walked in at the very bottom and never had any hope of changing that. Yes, we were all criminals in there. However, most of us were also fathers. Violent, monstrous ones maybe, but still fathers. We aimed to harm the pedos and were good at it. Diaper snipers, pedo peats, chesters. We had plenty of names for these things. Make no mistake, I'm using the term things intentionally. They were not human beings. They were property. They were not a person. They were a burden or a monetary source. Because the fellas, those of us wired into the prison, had access to records, we knew what they were before they even got there. We'd stand at the window above with the manila folders and match the mug shots with the guys arriving. Almost giddy when we'd spot it getting off the bus. 
dibs was not an unusual thing to hear a fella call out. That said, this isn't a story about just beating and killing child abusers. Though that happened, it wasn't the normal course of events. And as I said, it was part of the culture. As criminals, we were creative, industrious, and most of all, opportunistic. The most common event on day one was an unofficial auction. Depending on who was involved, a pedo's value could be based on their appearance, age, or severity of crime. With an exception if they were mentally deficient, we weren't interested in them. But mostly it was based on how much money they received on their books while in the county jail and how frequently they got it. A pedo with people on the outside sending the money was a treasure. The abuser didn't know we had noticed it yet, let alone were debating on what it was worth and what was to be done. There were many ways for this to play out as there were ideas in our aggressive imaginations. A pedophile had a market value and we needed to figure that out first. The guard's unofficial position was that we not kill them to avoid paperwork and larger repercussions. We didn't fight that. Even with those things, you'd get a murder charge. So we made sure that guards didn't have to get involved. Beyond that, We had no other limits. It still happened, but killing them was often the result of a fit of anger rather than a planned action. It was uncommon. Death was more often the result of them taking their own life. No one inside was ever shocked when that happened, but rather we were surprised by how long it took. It could even be a spectator event if you were suspicious they were close. It was like a live concert for convicts as we took bets on how they'd do it. However, it usually took a while for the weight of their new life to push them that far, if at all. Before that, they experienced tax day. That was when one of the fellas approached them for the first time. Everyone had their own way of doing this. Everyone used a combination of mild to moderate violence to establish that they can followed by an explanation of how things would be from then on. For example, you'd storm into his cell hard and fast, attacking him like a rabid dog. Then, standing over him, once he submits to the harm you've just inflicted, you'd explain, You're a lie because I fucking allow you to be, bitch. Now say it. Then you make sure he does, always make him repeat the rules back to you, and hurt them if they hesitate then walk them to their cell door, gripping the nape of his neck to show him how many men are standing around watching. Keep my name out of your mouth while you're, when you think telling me might save you. Point to the guards. I pay their fucking bills. Anyone you jack your jaw to is going to bring you to me. You make them understand that they have no options and no way out. They will own nothing, do nothing, and be nothing. I'm going to cut your fucking lower lip off if I so much as catch you cre- your creep ass standing up to take a piss. You'll sit the way bitches sit. Then you get to reason, to the reason it's called tax day. You owe me, insert whatever amount you're going to charge, a month to breathe out your mouth instead of your neck. 
you ever come up short and I'm selling that wolf pussy of yours to one of them AIDS-having fuckboys. Now say it back like you're excited. Their property, nothing more. They'd hide and move drugs, do laundry, and spend their money at the commissary on the shopping list you'd give them, and that was a mild day. I've seen them literally stood on tables and auction off and used to call bets at the poker table. Maybe I didn't let one of the fellows call my bet because my AMFM radio was worth more than his punk. If they stepped out of line, they'd be rented out to rapists or those guys could just come make their owner an offer. I watched one have his nostril slit because he made eye contact when asking for a cigarette. And few things in the world are as funny as making a couple of pedos fight each other because the fellas are bored. Every moment of their existence is walking on eggshells over razor blades on thin ice. Not that anyone needed an excuse to hurt them or an explanation when they did. Sometimes your team lost the game and punching a pedo is the only logical way to emotionally process that. I've seen them tell a guard and be escorted to a cell with the fellas waiting in it instead of to safety. If you spotted one trying to use the phone without its owner, you'd step in and prevent that. People helping people. I've witnessed boiling baby oil thrown in one's face when he had the nerve to say his daughter seduced him. I remember one forced to burst his own eardrum with a piece of a TV antenna because he couldn't repeat instructions back. I could go on and on. Sliced, burned, bruised, you name it. It's all fair game. Part of a convict's status at times was influenced by how cruel you could be while maintaining control and an income flow. Ballers would have a, quote, stable of them hose. It was also not uncommon for men to put tag tattoos on their faces the way a rancher would brand his cattle. After all, property ownership is the cornerstone of our society. Even the Chesters who managed to get into protective custody had almost no reprieve. They had to do the same chow hall march as anyone else and eat food cooked by convicts. One can only imagine the possibilities. Plus, protective custody was temporary at best, and they soon found themselves in general population with the rest of us. I suppose the moral of the story is that there is justice waiting for these things, even if it's not the way the law intended to provide it. There is a very real sense of right and wrong, even in hell. I find it disturbing that prisoners agree that these things are the worst of the worst, yet people on the outside are starting to defend it all as being, quote, identity. This situation is not right. It is not a solution. It simply is. There are no heroes or good guys, just monsters doing what monsters do. To those who've suffered by these child abusers, if the law doesn't help you, I hope a look at what follows does. You may not feel the courts gave you justice. However, the convicts likely gave you vengeance. Here's my pitch. I hope you realize that Justicon's writing is PG compared to some of the stories I tell. Please drag your friends into my party for a reality bath. 
And here's the parting shot. That was the name of a mixed alpine route, that's rock and ice, climbed by Mark Twight. Here's what he wrote about it. We were willing to play for more than we could lose. I was willing to die for it. True safety would have meant not being there at all. Hell, safety never entered it into it when we finally pulled the trigger. No one else has been willing or gone there since 1988. The route has not been repeated. It was, is, an incredibly dangerous route, not technically difficult by modern standards, though fairly hard for the era. The big issue was the objective danger and that the climber is exposed to it for a minimum of four to six hours. We climbed halfway up, six pitches on our first try. A couple of big icefall events happened while we were on the steepest section. So the big man-killing, car-smashing sized blocks missed us. But we heard them, felt the displaced air as they rushed past, even saw some shadows go by in the spindrift. Our courage evaporated. I don't know if it was safer to repel or retreat, or if we'd have been better off continuing up. I do know that we could not talk each other into going up. We were way over the line at that point. My comment is that my thinking was once a bit like Mark's, but not as hardcore. And I have a photo of an ice climber. I think it is Mark. 